It's good to see everybody, and, and I do hope you had a, a great day today. We're walking through this series of Israel and the things to come. That's, and, and everybody I know is excited about getting finally to, to, to Revelations, and we're still about eight weeks away from that. We're, we're going to get there. But the fact is, is we've got to walk through understanding who Israel is and how Israel plays the role in now and the future to come. Revelations, a big part of Revelations is the nation of Israel. It's, it's not, you know, people always ask, where's America? It don't matter. It's, it, when you get that far, it's Israel who is God's chosen people, and they are wrapping it up just like they started it. And so God uses them as a nation, and tonight we will talk about that. We, let's just kind of review where we did, because like I said, we're not, we're not doing this like a, a preaching sermon. This is just teaching. So last week, we really drove home that the nation of Israel began with one man, Abraham. And through Abraham and Sarah, uh, they had a child, Isaac. In fact, they had a couple kids, but one of them was not the promise. Uh, and we'll get into countries and other things later. But the fact is, they, they had a child, Isaac, and he got married, and he had two boys. And those two boys, one of them became Jacob or Israel. God chose him. And then out of that, 12 boys came forth. And the nation of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel. And so I'll probably give you a handout here before long that will just have blanks about who had who, how many children did Leah have, how many children did Rachel have, I mean, and, and it's very important to, to kind of be able to see that because now we've got to the end of Genesis, and Genesis ends with Joseph saving his family and taking them and bringing them into Egypt. The Pharaoh there loves Joseph so much that he tells him, look, you take the land of Goshen, which is a very fertile land, and you and your family take that, and y'all live on that. And when they get there, the Bible says that there is like 70 of them, 70 males, 70 of, of, of his people, of, of the family, 70. That's how many is there. And so go with me in your Bibles to Genesis 15. It's the first place we're headed. I know it, we, we're supposed to be through, but I need to use this as our kicker. Genesis 15, verses 13 through 16. And tonight we will kind of begin to really nail down this nation. It began as a nation through just like I said, as we ended Genesis, 70 people. Just these 70, these 12 boys, Joseph, his families, all of them are in Egypt and whatever uh, servants and things that they had, that was it. It was all they had. And so it's amazing to watch what's fixing to happen. But you got to understand the promise first, because go with me. And let's read. Then he said to Abram. Now this is before Abraham's name is even changed. This is when he is still Abram and God is speaking of his future. Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 Now tell me what they did wrong. Why were they in bondage for 400 years? 
Trick question. They didn't do anything wrong. They didn't do anything at all wrong. But yet God tells Abram, he says, before you even begin this, before we even start, understand that know certainly that your descendants will be in a strange land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years. Wow. That'd make you feel good as a grandpa, wouldn't it? Just letting you know your grandchildren, you know, a few generations from now are going to all be slaves and in bondage. Just, just letting you know what's coming. And here's what he says. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterwards, they shall come out with great possessions. Now, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet. Now, this is a strange scripture. But God is saying, let me tell you how I do business. I want to bless your people. And here's how I have to do it. I have to put them in a place where they did nothing wrong. And the people that were with them took advantage of it. And they abused them. And they mistreated them. And put them in bondage and slavery. To give me the, the right so that I can punish them. And when I punish them, you, your descendants will leave that land with all the back pay that they owe you. Because that's right. And I would do it right now, but there's another country that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to knock a knot in later. The Amorites. But their sin hasn't reached a point where it really bothers me yet. But in about 400 years, it's going to be just about ripe. And I'll be just about ready to send this people over here to take care of another enemy that I've got and wipe them out. Now that sounds so strange to us that there's a God who thinks like that. That God looks at me and says, Tim, I'm going to have to put you through this and this, but don't worry, I'm doing it so that down the road you will be here. And, and the people who mistreat you back here, don't worry, I'm going to use that as weaponry to turn into your blessing. Think about your life. Think about the people you have to forgive, the things you have to overlook, so that God can be released. Because vengeance is whose? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. The hardest thing you will ever do is just follow the pattern, knowing that God has a 100, 200, 400 year plan for your life. 
Not, not you. And if I had time, we would talk about Billy Sunday, and we would talk about D.L. Moody, and we would talk about people that they minister to, and, and, and people they got saved, and how they turned out to be preachers, and how they, you could go through hundreds of years, and it's how God looks back in time and says, I'm going to use this moment and this time to set in motion something that will be life-changing for millions. And you have to think like this. This is very important because Abraham doesn't say, well, that doesn't sound right. He's like, that's, that sounds good. Now, understanding that, let me ask you a question. If I told you tomorrow, I want you to build a nation. I want you to build a nation. And, and we, we call it the nation of all seasons. We're going to build the nation of all seasons. We're going out on our own. What's the first thing that you got to have to build a nation? Somebody talk to me. Money. People. First thing, to be a nation, you got to have people. So when God looks at Abraham and says, I am going to make of you a great nation. He's saying, I'm going to make a lot of people. Now go with me to Exodus 2 verses 23 through 25. And let me go ahead and and, and let you fill in your blank. The Exodus was approximately 300 years after Genesis. The book of Exodus starts to take place about 300 hundred years after Genesis is over. There is, there is this time period in there where Joseph is getting old and everybody else gets old and they finally die and there's about a hundred years there and then there's 300 full years of just bad. They say that there rose a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph, didn't remember who he was and did not know what he did and, and, and eventually that gave credence to fa- that Pharaoh taking them and putting them in bondage. So now go with me to Exodus 2 and verses 23 and 25. See if this helps make sense. Now it happened in the process of... Look at that person beside you and say, it always takes time. Now it doesn't take time for God because He don't live in it. He just says that to entertain us. And how he speaks is funny because listen to what he says. In the, it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage that they cried out. And their cry came unto God because of the bondage. So God heard their groaning and God... Now here's the way God does things. This is so unique. God doesn't have to check his calendar every day. God is so precise in putting things in motion that he can set you in a direction and know exactly what time in the third to fourth generation everything will be just right. God is so precise that he can look three generations ahead and say, yeah, it'll be right about just about that time. 
And the Bible says that when he heard their groaning, yeah, they ought to be groaning about right now. They ought to be just about sick of this. And he turns around and says, ah, they're groaning. Their groaning is coming to my ears. And that causes me to remember his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and the promise that he made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob starting at chapter 15 in Genesis. He said, oh yeah, that's right. I told I would make a great nation out of him. And you know, by now, let's see, it's been about three to 400 years. They should be just about ready. Oh, they were ready. They had done got so ready that they were having so many babies and they were populating so fast like rabbits that literally Pharaoh at that time put a decree out and told the parents, start throwing your baby boys into the Nile. He told the handmaidens who helped the, the women have birth, he said, you need to choke the little ones out. When they start to come out, you choke it to death and tell them it died. And the handmaidens were too afraid to do it. And they said, uh, uh, the, these women don't, don't, don't hurt like we do. They, they, they're wide awake when they give birth. And man, they, they don't, they don't, you can, they watching us when we're doing this. And so all of this is going on, but all of this is the blessing of God while they're in bondage, they're reproducing to such a point that historians tell us right now, we know that they're, that according to Exodus 12, that there are over 600,000 fighting men. 600,000 men that can fight. If you just make the normal math, you're at 1.5 million to 2 million people in three to 400 years. From 70 to 1.5 million. First thing you got to have to create a nation is what? God said, yeah, I think they ought to be about ready. Think of how God does this. This, this is, I know we just read over these scriptures and we just think, oh, it's just, they got ready. No, think how God is orchestrating every single thing. Because when we get to Revelations and realize, well, this is how it's going to end. It's going to end just like how God began it. It's going to end exactly how he wants it to go. It's going to go exactly according. The God who handles all of these things is the God who says, I know how it's going to end. I got it timed. When Jesus came, how does the Bible describe it? In the fullness of time, Jesus, God said, it's about time. This is how God does things. When Jesus was asked about when the end would come, he said, those things are in the Father's hands. I don't know, but I guarantee you the Father knows the right time and the moment it's going to take place. Why is that important? Okay, so number one, we've got to have people. The second thing, what else do we got to have to have a nation? Okay. Perseverance to, to, we'll get to that, but what would be the next thing? Somebody said it a while ago. Money. You got to have some money. If you're going, if you're going to start a nation, you're going to start feeding people and you're going to start uh, having cattle and have all of this stuff. So, so God then says, it's about time. Let me go find Moses. He ought to be hiding out in the back of them hills. He's about 80 years old now, and he's getting just about mentally ready to do what I need to do. When he was young, he's just a little bit too wired. Now he's a, 
He's a little bit stuttering, a little older, and he, he's just about ready now. He's a little calmer than he used to be. And so God goes and gets Moses and says, go back and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Don't worry, the people that was after you, Moses, don't even remember you no more. All God's got this in his control. God has every bit of this as he's creating a nation. So how in the world then does God, Exodus 7, and we don't have time to read all of this, but Exodus 7 Verses 19 through chapter 12, verse 30, is the plagues. If you'll look at your handout, you have homework. You see the homework there where it tells you to write all the different plagues and to match them to the God that's on the other side. See, Egypt, anybody ever study, watch any of the Egypt stuff or, or some of the drawings they have on walls and all this type, type thing? And, and In fact, there's even shows now that try to go and Prove that those things they drew on the wall were aliens that they saw in that time. And, you know, it was because they, no, what they were were their gods. What they were drawing was, was Ra and all the other gods. And, and it's why it's so much fun when people make movies about Egypt and, and the mummies and all this stuff. Why? Because they had all these crazy gods that did everything. You got to understand, these are people that embalmed people before they, when they buried them, they took part of their organs and put them in different jars. I mean, these were people that were God-driven. So understand this, that when God shows up, it's not, it's not, people's always like, why in the world didn't God just deliver them out? You don't, you got to understand, he's creating a what? A nation. He's creating a nation. They need the wealth, they need the finances, they need the back pay, the overtime that they didn't get for building all the stuff they built. And God says, they owe you, and therefore I'm going to draw, I'm going to get it out of them. Well, how are you going to do that? I'm going to embarrass every single God that they have. Ra, God of the sun. Try three days of darkness and pray to Ra and see what happens. Every one of them, when you study this, what I've just given you, and go back and and look at the different God, look it up on your phones, do whatever you need to do. Those gods were gods of fertility, were gods of health. The Nile God, God, well, they turned the Nile into blood. Well, guess what? The Nile God couldn't do it. Even the sorcerers who they believed in, these crazy sorcerers, when God says, oh, Y'all going to try to compete with me. He brings boils out. And and guess what? The two sorcerers who had been standing against Moses, because they had so many boils all over their body and they looked so bad, the Bible says they wouldn't even come out no more. They wouldn't even go. Why? Because the gods that they trusted in, God one by one tore them apart. And, and And every Egyptian was standing there watching the God overcome every one of their gods. When Moses says it will not be any sunshine for three days, oh, well, Ra won't let that happen. Then let Ra do something about it. And that's why when Moses would go to him each time and say, will you let them go now? Yeah, 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 we'll let them go now. We'll, we'll let them. Why? Because it was the humiliation of his God. For Pharaoh to say, yeah, yeah, we will, it was his admitting that my God cannot stand before your God. And God said, let's pick another God. Let's choose another one. And finally, the final one, 
is that the firstborn is the most precious thing. And, and that is the highest of humanity, the firstborn. And he said, you and none of your gods have the power to stop God. And God has said, because of what you've done, he's going to take the firstborn. And you can't do anything about it. You can put blood on the post and you can save yourself, but you will have to admit to everybody that God is God. Do, do you get this? You need to understand this because it is God creating a nation. It's God creating a people. Not just a, not just a, a farming community. Not just a, 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 a guy wandering around in tents. This now is 1.5 million people that just took the strongest nation in the world to its knees and never shot one shot and never slung one rock. Their God. Later, you will read about when they get to Canaan that they said, we heard about what your God did to the Egyptians. And we heard about what your God did to the Amorites. We already heard it. The noise has already got here. How you drowned Pharaoh's horsemen. So there's, there, there's, there's specific things that have to be established for there to be. So when we talk about Exodus, it is the exiting of one season and the becoming a nation. When he does the final plague, he establishes a new covenant. A new plan, Exodus 12. So your paper so far, let's catch back up. Exodus 2, 23 through 25, those are promises remembered. He remembers the promises he makes. Exodus 7 is the plagues. Exodus 12, 1 through 16, is the description of the Passover. And I don't have time in this study to, to cover all of that, but basically understand it is the foreshadowing. Remember when, when Satan was in the garden and there he told him, you'll bruise his heel, but he'll bruise your head. And all through this thing, now he comes back in Exodus in the next book of the Bible and says, let me reiterate this in a different picture. There is a Passover lamb. There is something that will take away the sins there is something that will take away the, the, the shame. But the animals that they did could only remove it for a short period of time. It could not fully do the Passover. So we see through the Passover that it's the new picture of Jesus. How it's revealing to them God's plan of how He's one day going to not just create a nation, but redeem a world. Because he tells Abraham, you're not just going to be a great nation, but you will bless all nations. Any questions so far? I don't want to rush. Any questions? Yeah, all the way through 12 and 30, yep. Yeah. Promises remembered. That, that's God's promises Remembered, He said, I remember the promises that I have. Okay, so once 
First thing we need is people. God says, check. The second thing we need is wealth, money. When they left Egypt, man, they borrowed everything. I mean, they, these people had so much extra gold and stuff, they started making calves out in the, in the desert when they started collecting. And, and I mean, they, they weren't digging for it out there. They had it. They were filthy rich. Nowhere to spend it. But they had it. Go with me to Exodus 20. The next thing that you have to have to be a nation is laws and rules. You can't have chaos. You can't have disorder. Are you starting to see how God does this now, this picture? It's not just a, 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 just a crazy stories. This is God pre-planning this, walking people through to accomplish the goal, which is to eventually bring His Son to save the world. This is how meticulous God is. So Exodus 21 through 17, we know those are the Ten Commandments. Also on your worksheet, there's a work thing for you to fill that in too. And I will check everybody's paper next week. Write the Ten Commandments. Write the commandments that, that, that He... You, you write them in your way. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, commit adultery, all those... All the Ten Commandments. And, and, and we always look at like the Ten Commandments, but it's not just that. It is the beginning of the laws that God will establish among this people. There has to be laws. Just like if you want to know, what's wrong with America? What's wrong with America? And I, and I know there's all these different people that get on television and talk. It's real simple. To have a great country, you first have to have what? People. If, if you do not have a people, if you do not have people that are all pulling the same direction, and, and what made Israel so unique was by staying there for 300 years, by all boiling in the same pot, by all having the same pain, by, they became a people. What we think is painful, we shouldn't make people do it. Oh, we should make everybody that comes into America learn the Pledge of Allegiance. We should take everybody that comes in here. I think, and this is how far I go, I believe everybody that is, is 18 years old should go two years to the military before they can go to college. There should be a two-year stint for every person. You say, bro, like that won't work. Ask Israel. It's a requirement in Israel that every woman or man has to do two years. Guess what that creates? Community. Hey, we've all been through that. We've all... But if you got one group over here that hates America and one group over here burning the flag and one group over here, guess what you don't have? You don't have people. You may have a bunch of numbers of people. You may have a bunch of uh, uh, numbers, but you don't have people. You don't have people because today in Kansas City, Kansas City won the NFL Super Bowl. Big day of celebration. Only one problem. You would think they're all wearing orange, they're all wearing red. They're a people, man. We are, we are the chiefs. Somebody, a couple people today decide to pull out guns. There's 22 injured. I don't know how many dead. And all people were saying was, it's a celebration. But, but it don't mean nothing if you're not a people. If you're not a people, you can't do it. So what's wrong with America? We're not a people. 
We don't, we don't have the same, we don't believe the same thing. We don't, we don't stand. And you say, well, you don't know all I have to, I ain't saying believe everything, but there's a certain amount that in the, in the constitution, in the certain thing that this is our inalienable rights. This is, this is what we stand for. We don't need to keep trying to pass laws to, to debunk this and to change this and to fix this. And, and, and let's, let's, let's pack the, pack the Supreme Court to get what we want now. And let's do, no, we are a people. We're a people. And when you become a people, the next thing you need is what? Wealth. Guess what they always say? The greatest generation ever lived was a generation that went through a war together, went through two wars together. And guess what? When they all came home, they all worked together. They built this country together. They had the same, they were the greatest generation that ever lived. Not because they were the better people. But because of what they went through, because it, it, it put them together, then they could work side by side. And our problem is because we don't have that now, we're going to keep getting more and more divided and more, whether it's by color or whether you're southern or you're northern or whether you, whatever they, they, they come out with next, it's, it's, it's just going to be more splinters. And guess what will happen? We also become poorer. Because if we can't work together, we have to spend money we shouldn't have to spend on people who aren't working or people who, who aren't trying or people who, who, who don't have the same vision or dream. We're not talking about helping people who need help. That's not what we're talking about. But I'm talking about healthy people that just basically... That's, you can't have a nation that way. Is this okay? I'm trying to get through this. I'm about a quarter away, right? So I got to move. So you got to have laws. You got to have commandments. So when we move through Exodus, then and we start to move into Leviticus, that's what we're moving into. But understand where their laws come from. They come from who? God. So there has to be. God tried at first to build it into a nation where everybody was a priest. That was His plan. God said, the firstborn, think, of, think about it if it had worked. The firstborn of every family, that son would be dedicated to ministry. And his job would have been to make sure his family knew the Word of God, lived by the Word of God, was taught the Word of God. A kingdom of priests. But when they got to Mount Sinai... And Moses said, come, draw. They were afraid. And they said, Moses, you just tell us what we need to do and we'll do it. But we do not want to know and get close to that God. So God said, then we will do it through the Levites. We will choose one nation out of the twelve and their job will be to teach all of you. They will be a kingdom of priests unto themselves. I don't have time to go into, they couldn't own land and they had to disperse and live into every tribe and every, but that was their job. That was their role. But understand the word Leviticus literally means this, pertaining to the Levites. So when you read the book of Leviticus, you need to understand that it's not written as a book to everybody. It's written as a book to a group of people who are supposed to teach Others, what this means. 
to be a Levite. All right, so the next term there, priest. A priest then is a Levite who spoke to God for the people and offered their sacrifices. I'll give you a chance to write that. Priests were Levites who spoke to God for the people and also offered their sacrifices for them. That's who Levites were. That was their role. That was their job. So the law itself then is broken down into three distinct areas. There's three prongs of the law, and each one of them is important, and each one of them uh, had to be observed. First was the physical. Under this, the three points of concern for the law, the three points that the law was emphasizing and was concerned with, number one, is physical. Somebody give me some illustrations of the physical. Physical. Think of, think of your body. Could you eat oysters? Oh, bad. Boiled shrimp? Crawdads. Catfish? No. Didn't have scales. Couldn't eat any fish without scales. There was all these physical laws that were, that were in there. You had to eat certain things. You had to fast one day to purify. And, and it was to help purify your body, to draw close to God. But it was also a physical thing. It, it was a way to draw. The Pharisees later, just trying to be better than everybody, we'll do two days. We'll just up everybody by one day. But it was really for your physical. It was to give your body a rest from all the food that it was eating and giving it a chance to catch up. So there were physical laws, and we could go through a bunch of them, of things you couldn't do, certain animals you couldn't, if, if his hoof was what? If his hoof was not split, you couldn't. It, it's, it's all kind of crazy. We, we could spend... We could spend hours here. That's why I say I'm, I'm running through because it's like we could, we could just like settle here and just like, all right, you couldn't do this and you couldn't do this. And it's physical. Okay, now let's look at the other. So there were certain physical laws that, the, that they, and in fact, if you go to Israel today, they'll shut a McDonald's down if they put cheese on a hamburger. The milk cannot be with the meat. They'll shut, them, they'll shut it down. There's only like one McDonald's in Jerusalem where it's not kosher. And when you go there, it's like all us heathen are just like, oh, thank goodness. It's, just, it's like the greatest thing in the world. But, but you'll get up in the morning and there'll be certain foods you can eat in the morning. And you'll think, well, can I have this? No, no, no. You can't have that with that. That can't be mixed with that. You can have that for lunch. And it's very unique. Number two. Any questions? Any questions? I, I don't want to be, I don't feel like I'm just blasting you with stuff. I want, I want you to be able to. Number two is the moral law. So you said no, no killing, stealing, a lot of the Ten Commandments, first half of that, how we treat each other. There, there's a moral law. And so you, you 
committing adultery, uh, fornication, all this stuff was built into the moral law. There's the physical law, there's the, there's the moral law that you were supposed to live by, how you treated someone, how you did not do certain things, how you did not, even a moral law would be even uh, disrespecting your parents. You did not morally do that. And then there was ultimately a social law. There were social laws, things that you had to do socially or you were kicked out or stoned. Or So there were, there were certain social events. There were certain social things you had to go to. There were certain uh, different functions you had to perform. There were certain... Just to, to be part of this group, to be part of this law, a baby had to be circumcised on which day? Seventh day. Mother had to be purified. And, and all, all of these are laws. Laws that were built in for health, for morals, for society. And what it did was it kept them a, a nation. Do you ever meet any Hittites? Met any Romans lately? No. There's a city of Rome. Lord, this has got all kind of Europeans living that thing. Ain't it? But all these, all these countries that once were Philistines and Amorites and Hittites and Jebusites and, and the termites, and they're all gone. Why? Because God knew what He had to do to create a nation that could withstand what it would have to go through. They are called the people, as I showed you last week, the people of the book. They will die for that book. They will not yield from that book. It makes you understand when Jesus came and was preaching things that were contrary or seemed odd to them, why they were so quick to say, kill him. Even though he was trying to help and bring them, they would not budge from what they believed. There's a good part of that, and there's a bad part of that. And Jesus tells the story of that. He said there were people that a farmer lended out his land to. And they had grapevines and all these vines. And, 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 and he lent it out. And he, he, he lent it out to them and said, hey, you raise it, raise your family there. And, and man, you, you just use my vineyard for whatever you need. And, and one day he said, well, it's time for me to come get my part. To come get. And so he said, I'm going to send one of my servants. He sent his servant to say, well, the master now is, is, is saying that he needs his... And what did the Bible say? They beat him. Treated him ugly. He sent more and they did the same. Finally, he said, okay, okay, they just don't get it. But I'll, I'll, I'll help them. I'm going to send my son this time. And surely when they see my son, they'll think, that's the heir. That's, that's the guy that owns our property. They'll surely have respect for him. But he said, when they saw the heir, they said to themselves, Let's kill him. Because if we kill him, it'll all be ours. Jesus was telling the story of his life. 
I'm the heir, but they won't, they won't even, they won't budge even for me. Which will take us to Revelations one day. <laughs> so there's a physical law, there's a moral law, social law. There has to be finances, there has to be community, there has to be this connection that's been galvanized through pain, through there has to be people, there has to be all of this to create a nation. And God is creating this nation quick. But the last part is also a part that's important. The last part to have a healthy nation is that you must also have true and good worship. Without true and good worship, a nation will fall apart. Let me explain. We were talking about America. What's on every coin in America? Do you think there was a separation between church and state when this thing was started? When the churches were the schoolhouses and over half the people that signed the Declaration of Independence and all of that were ministers, were licensed ministers? That when you go to the Supreme Court, that the Ten Commandments? No. But a nation that forgets who it worships cannot last. So we start worshiping football teams or basketball teams or ourselves. We put whatever we want on the throne and we remove God. And so if somebody looks at me and says, what's wrong with America? We are not a people. We may think we're wealthy, but we're very poor. We have no laws that we actually believe in. In fact, we just indicted, I guess, and impeached. And I love the title that this guy has, Homeland Security Director. That's his title, Homeland Security Director, who is not even remotely trying to deny that there's a wave of people that's coming through that we're, can't, we're not checking, we're not inspecting. We don't know if they're terrible. We don't know. And if, and if Texas puts a wire up and says, look, we're going to try to slow this thing down. No, we'll sue you. You've got to take the wire down because that's inhumane. Now, it's not that, that, that we need to pass a law. The laws are already on the books. He already has a job. It's called Homeland Security Director. If there's something on our borders that is, that is dangerous or is risky, then you are supposed to shut it down. Just think about it this way. If somebody in, in another country just decided, I'm just going to get on an airplane with no passport, no anything, and I'm just going to fly into America, and I'm just going to get off the airplane in L.A., and I'm just going to walk off the airplane and just hang out. How long do you think, how, how many times do you think they'll get arrested in an airport before it happened? They wouldn't get on the plane. You can't, you aren't documented. You can't fly into America. Oh, but I can, 
I'm not, it has nothing to do with, with political size. I don't care who you vote for. That's not what I'm in this thing. I, I'm not, you're probably not going to pick a winner either way. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm trying to teach here. What I'm teaching is, is what makes a strong nation. If you have laws, you don't do the laws, and you don't hold up, withstand your own laws. If you're going to have prosecutors that just let people out of jail for free, and, and, and we're not going to prosecute anybody. If, you, if, you're going to, if you're going to do that, and you're going to say, we're going to be a nation, and, you're going to, and we're going to worship ourselves, we're going to worship whatever we want, and whatever feels good, and whatever, then you're not going to make it. God established all these things in this country. So finally, understand this, worship involves three ingredients that you have to have. Worship involves three ingredients. Number one, holiness. To be holy after something. When a president stands up and takes the oath of office, he puts his hand on a Bible and he raised his hands and he says, I swear to uphold the... That's his, that's his sworn duty. What he's saying is, is that I am wholly and completely in a line with what the law is going to tell me to do. Does that sound like where we live? No. And here again, I'm, I, I'm not trying to... They all put their hand on the Bible. They all promised. They all. And then he tried to figure out what, what politically is the best way to make this thing work. So there has to be holiness because if we're going to say God is our king and God is, is ours, then, excuse me, then, then, then holiness is who God says I am. He says, be holy for I am holy. Be holy for I am holy. Even as a Christian, we don't tell people, well, you got to be perfect. You got to. No, I strive for perfection. Why? Because God is perfect. So I'm striving every day of my life to be like God, to be like what He's called me to be. If I fail, I don't just say, oh, well, no, I say, oh, I've hurt the one that I love. I want to do better. I want to do. That's why when we, when we put people in jail, what is the hope? That, that when they get out, they will be better. It's not, it's not punishing them for the fact that we're just going to lock you away and make life miserable. It is the understanding that we are trying to buy, whole, trying to get you to live holy again in society. Number two, there must be sacrifice if there's worship. There cannot be worship without sacrifice. So if somebody says, I want to be holy, good, then you're going to have to make some sacrifices. There'll be some things you can do, some things you can't do, some things you'd like to do, some things you... I wish I could get in my truck tonight, drive 85 miles an hour and get home. I don't see no problem. Some of y'all are looking at each other like... They're probably not their fault. They're probably blind, so blind they can't even see the signs. So just pray for them. Lord, this blind person is trying to get home. Can't read the speed limit sign. So it, there's things. I, I, I want to be holy. I do. But I want to go home. 
So to do that, I have to make sacrifices prove that your heart is in the right place. When you bring your tithes and offering, that is a sacrifice. To say, I'm going to take a tenth of what I just made and I'm going to give it to the Lord. Man. But you can't come to God without a sacrifice. If you come into His presence, and we'll, we'll cover this one last. I'll show you what I mean. You must be holy, you must have sacrifices, and then number three, there must be celebration. What the priest and the, the Levites were to teach them was how to come before God holy, how to bring their sacrifices, and how to celebrate before Him. That was their job. You'll also notice on your sheet that you have a list of the eight festivals that Israel has. More homework. And I will check it. Or at least we'll be standing at the door. One of us will be standing at the door checking. You need to understand all these things. And if I had time, I'd be several other things I would add to you. Because, because you need to understand these components that make them who they are. The Ten Commandments. You need, to, you need to understand the plagues. You need to understand the celebrations. Why? Because if I told you about holiness, oh, I understand holiness. I know God doesn't want us doing this. And he doesn't want us to... Okay. Do you understand sacrifice? Oh, yes. Yes, I'm married. I understand sacrifice. <laughs> Do you understand celebration? You know what I don't see a lot of that I wish I saw more of, is when somebody got saved, they just started just raising their hands, just dancing and just, just going crazy. I think we, we, we fail people there. We're like, well, you're saved. What I want to tell them is, tell you what, let's mean you just dance for a little bit. Why don't we dance? <laughs> Dude, did you just get saved? Yeah. Everything you ever did is gone. You are and, and built into their society was not only the sacrifice, not only holiness, but moments of celebration. What I remember about Jerusalem when I went to Jerusalem was the Sabbath. I mean, there was people walking around all week, you know, got their little tweeter hair and they got all this going on. It's all cool. And I, but what I remember was Saturday evening and big circles of guys, just men. And man, they would crank that music up and they, and man, they were, they were cutting, they were, they were getting at, they were throwing down. And I looked over, I saw like, he said, every Saturday. If you only go to church and sit down, if you only serve God and all you worry about is what I don't do right and what I don't do wrong and what I, and you don't take time to celebrate. You miss a very, God, God implemented eight times from harvest times to different times to Passovers where they were told to celebrate. For some of you in this room, you need to work on that. 
You do good at coming to church. You do good at paying your tithes. You do good at all the stuff I'm supposed to do. But some days you just need to crank up your K-love or whatever, and you just need to make sure there ain't nobody around because you really can't dance that good. But you just need, you just need, you just need to... You just need to throw down. That's crazy, Brother Lot. Yeah. But that's what God requires. Celebration was part of, and it's what we've removed from church. We, we, we got the rules down, we got, but we don't celebrate. We don't just enjoy the fact that we're going to heaven. Our sins are forgiven. We're good. We can celebrate. If all you ever look at is rules and this, you're going to always, oh, well, I hope, you know, I don't know. No, celebration breaks it. All right. If you don't, then what will happen is the same thing that happens to Israel. God spent a whole book of Numbers, um, Exodus, as he's passing through Leviticus, showing them about the temple and all this. There's one problem that they never could fix, and that's complaining. They never could get it out of their system complaining. And let me, let me explain what God does to complainers. In Numbers 11, when we hear about complaining because they said it's too hard, 11, 1 through 3, it's too hard, God sent fire. <laughs> he sent fire into camp. Immediately after that, they started complaining we only have manna to eat. We only got manna to eat. We only got 11, 4 through 6, and then 31 through 34. Guess what? God sent quail. We also attached it to a plague. So as they were eating, the meat was rotting between their teeth. And they died. You hungry? Want quail? Get tired of manna? Yeah, I'm tired of manna. Good, eat that quail. And why you do that? I know it sounds crazy, but this is... This is God trying to build a nation. We find out in chapter 14 that they're afraid. This is when after chapter 13, he sends the spies in and they say, we can't, we're grasshoppers. They're afraid they will, they will be defeated by the Canaanites. They're afraid they will lose. They're afraid they're going to die. You know what God does? Promises them. Then you never will go into Canaan. You'll wander around this desert till you're dead. 40 years, just added 40 more years to your journey. What? Oh, yeah. Don't play that whiny stuff with me. Finally, chapter 16, they blame Moses and Aaron and say, you've killed the people. You, just, you're, you all are bringing all this stuff on us, so you're killing the people. You know what God does? Sends plagues. Sends plagues. What, is, what, are you, what are you trying to say, Brother Lot? Go with me to Philippians, Philippians 2, and I'm, I'm wrapping it up. Philippians 2, verses 13 through 16. Let's go to the New Testament, and let's see if we can make sense of this. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do His good. Who's got the plans? Is he like just making it up as he goes along, or you think he's got plans? He's got plans. 
He says, listen to me, it is God who wills and does His good pleasure. Hardest thing you'll ever do is realize, I was talking to someone today, and, and I said, tell me, tell me the thing that's the biggest trouble or stress in your life right now. And I asked several people that were sitting around, and I said, tell me the biggest one right now. And, and, and one of them just, just looked and said, I'm, 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 just, I'm just stressed out by the, the, the pressure or the decisions, the, 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 all this. And I said, what do you think God's going to do? Finally, I said, God's going to leave you there until you learn how to live under that pressure. God's not going to move you to the next place until you learn you pass that. I have this game on my computer, on my little phone. It's, I, don't have, I don't even have internet on my phone, but I got, this, I got this app called Two Dots. Anybody ever play Two Dots? Some people don't know what Two Dots is, but Two Dots is my game. My wife's like, what are you doing? <laughs> making, making squares and, and, and killing like Don't go get the game. It'll drive you crazy. But it's called two dots. And here's the thing. I'm on level like 150 now. I mean, I'm done going away. I mean, every time you do it, it goes up a little higher than the ladder. And I'm just like, I'm like, yes. But at the same time, I hit, I hit spots in that game where it's like I may spend a day, not all at once, do not think that's this, but I may be like, I'm going to get this thing in. I can, you'll catch me sometime. If you ever drive up or something, I'm sitting in my car. That's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm like, okay, before I get out, I'm whooping this level. And I've tried 12 times to whoop this level. I don't, I don't know how to whoop this level. I don't, and, and, and you've got to get so many of these and so many reds and so many, so many anchors and so many. It's, it's crazy. But here's the crazy thing about that game. It doesn't matter how many times I lose. That game will not let me go to the next level. There's no button on there that says I can bypass this level and go to the next one. I am stuck on 142. And he just sits there and smiles at me. Want to try again? <laughs> I'm like, no, I want to go to level 143. You can't go to level 143 until you beat 142. I'm going to deal with you tomorrow. And sometimes I go a day or two. I said, like, I just can't do it. And then I, I feel good. I feel fresh. Let's do it. And God does us that way. Sometimes you have to back away from something like my marriage, my, my, my job. My, just back away. Like, oh, I just can't figure out. Just, just give me a little bit of time, a little bit of break. We're making my brain straight. Okay. Let's, let's, we, gotta, we got to whoop this thing because we can't go any further until we whoop this thing. And that's life. And God is so serious about it that he leaves a nation in the desert wandering around for 40 extra years, falling out. And, and if you take divide that out, if you divide 40 years, 365 days, whatever you want to do, and you do it 1.5 million people. And let's just, say, let's just say a million of them died. A million people died in that amount of time. Find out how many people died per day. It's crazy. It ain't like they had one funeral a day. You hear about Joe? 
You know what happened? He just fell over. What are we going to be doing tomorrow? Nothing. I mean, they're stuck. And God's like, perfect. I can't work with you. Because here's the thing. The next book of the Bible is Joshua. God lets a whole group die. Let me finish this and I'll show you what I'm talking about. For it is God who, who go back to 45, uh, to four, 13. For it is God who works you both to will and do his good pleasure. Do all things without. This really ticks God off, I'm going to tell y'all. If you really want to make God mad, just complain a lot. He's like that game. He just, you want to try again? You're not moving him. You've got to change. You've got to adjust. You've got to grow. And disputing. That you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse. He said, look, I know what you're going to be around, but it's okay I still want you to be this way because if you're this way, then I am the one going to fight for you. That you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. Here's that. So that you may rejoice... In the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Notice that holiness, sacrifice, celebration. He said it's all incorporated if we allow God to do what He does. Deuteronomy, and I'm through, and I don't have. Deuteronomy simply means this second law. Moses. I told you, let them wander around for 40 years until they died. The last thing that Moses did before he died was he went back over, or Deuteronomy can be said this way, second law, or it can be law repeated. The book of Deuteronomy is where he sits down one last time and he repeats in the ears, not of the people he first repeated it to. This is 40 years later, he's speaking to who now? the group that's fixing to go into Canaan. And he says, let me sit down one last time. I told this to y'all's family and your parents and your grandparents and they wouldn't listen to me. But let me repeat in your ears one more time the law. Let's see if you really got it this time. Because if you do, Canaan is waiting. If you get it, you're ready. What I think is so unique about this is what is the book of the Bible that Jesus refers to when Satan attacks him every time? Deuteronomy. If I had another hour, I would explain to you that Jesus is doing in his time what the children of Israel were doing before they went into Canaan. They had to be prepared and prove that they were ready for the battles that were to come. 
when, when the Holy Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil, it was to test him before his ministry was to begin. Your test is, before you become this great minister, this great singer, this great teacher, your test will always be, can you be part of the nation? Can you in holiness and sacrifice and celebration, can you stay true to God? Can you stay loyal to God? Can you be part of something bigger than you? We have in these first few books, in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible now, I have explained to you what has happened. Any questions before I dismiss? you got homework to go home and do, right? I'll start working on that. Any questions before I pray us? Like I said, this is not a sermon. This is a Bible. I want your brain stretched tonight. I don't want your, you know, I don't care if your heart's popping. I just want you to think, whew. That's a lot. Because, because it's supposed to be. It's, it's, it's you realizing, wow, God was that intricate in creation, calling Abraham, creating a nation, left them 400 years just so they could become a whole bunch of babies. And then came back and got them and said, oh, everything's set now, let's go. And God does the same with you. He does the same with me. Will you bow your heads? Father, Lord, there's just so much in this. And there's sometimes where, where just the spiritual part of something, just, just preaching about these stories, just energizes me spiritually. But then there are times where I need to do what I'm doing right now, and I just need to see and, and, and be in awe of how awesome you are. And, and I wonder sometimes, do you even know who I am? And I wonder sometimes, Lord, do you care? And just like any human does, we, we wrestle. But God, when I begin to read this, I understand, God, that when you say, Tim, I know the number of the hair on your head. Tim... I know everything. I know you better than you know yourself. God, when I read this, I can believe it. The things that are stressing me out and bothering me, you say, Tim, I've already got a plan for those things. I didn't bring you this far to quit now. But he who has begun a good work in you will complete that good work. Father, there's somebody in this room tonight that needs to know that. They can't see what's going on. They don't understand. Maybe they're like the children of Israel groaning and like, why are we here? What is, why was this, why did we go through? Why, why isn't God fixing it? And God is saying, I'm waiting for the right time, the right moment to explode you into your next season. God, I've seen it so many times in my own life. And tonight, I thank you that you do know everything about me, that you have me covered. And every person in this room that calls you God and Lord and Savior and Father, you know them by name. And you're guiding their steps right now 
if they in holiness, in sacrifice, and celebration will follow you. Let us do that. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Hey, go give that old devil fits.